Our text this morning is Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 18. Hear God's word. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you once again for your word. You have not left us in the dark. Uh, You have revealed yourself to us in nature. You are the God of all creation, but you've also given us your special revelation in your word. And we thank you for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and your vessel, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Romans and to us today. We thank you, and we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, shine your light brightly on this text. Illuminate the scriptures for us so that our, that our eyes would behold wonderful things in your word. And we ask that you would impress these truths not just upon our minds to puff up, but that you would impress these truths upon our hearts so that we would love you more, that we would long to serve you, and that we would enjoy glorifying you forever in the freedom that we have in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as Americans... We love our freedom, don't we? We, we love the rights that we have, and, and rightfully so. And I think especially as Texans, we, we really love our rights. We like uh, the right to bear arms. We like our freedom of speech that we have, and, and understandably so. These are great gifts that the Lord has given us. And just Friday, uh, I was having a conversation as I was waiting on my luggage in the airport. I'm standing there at the baggage claim, Uh, with a man who just moved to Texas from New York City. And we struck up a conversation, and he was telling me a little bit about the differences between New York City and Texas. And you know what the first thing that he told me was? You know, I just love that I can open carry. And I said, great, Uh, what what do you carry? He says, oh, well, I don't actually carry. I just like that I can. (laughs) I could just really, you know, identify with that. I think on some level we, we all can. We love the freedoms that we've been blessed with in America. And that's a great thing to focus on, and that's a great thing to be reminded of and to be thankful for and not to take them for granted. But this morning, what I want us to focus on is what from God's word tells us is true freedom. The Lord tells us that true freedom is about spiritual freedom. And so this morning, I want us to look at three aspects from this text of spiritual freedom that I think are especially relevant for us as we enter a new year. 
We're going to look at the freedom that we have from our past and the freedom that we also have now in our present and the even greater coming freedom that we're going to have in the future. The freedom from our past, the freedom in our future, and the freedom of our future. So first, let's begin by looking at what is this freedom that we have from our past. Well, our text this morning begins in verse 12, so then, so then. Whenever we see so then, the question should naturally arise, well, what is the so then for? Because of what, having been said already? And because uh, I like to eat lunch, and most of you do too, we're going to summarize 1 through 11 very, very briefly. So 1 through 11 basically describes the believer's freedom. He begins in verse 1 by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been freed from the consequences of sin. In verse 2 he says, We've been freed from sin and death. He goes on to say that God has done, in verse 3, what we could not do because of our weakened sinful flesh. So we've been freed from the dominion of the flesh and we've been brought into life in the spirit. And that's what he's saying in this context of verses 1 through 11. So then he says in verse 12, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now, it's interesting what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, we are not debtors to the flesh. Although, of course, that's part of what he's saying. But he actually says, we are debtors. But not to the flesh, and not to live according to the flesh. And so, by implication, we are debtors to the Spirit. But it's interesting how he characterizes that, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But first, the point here is that In verse 12, he explains that we are out of debt, so to speak, to the flesh. Now, what does he mean when he says we're out of debt to the flesh? And Paul uses the word debt in a variety of ways. And he says in chapter 1, actually in verse 14, he says that he is under an obligation to preach. It's actually the same word that he uses here. He has a debt to all mankind, to Greeks and to barbarians, to preach the gospel. He has this debt, so to speak. And it's important for us to realize that it's not as if the flesh has done something for us and now we need to repay the flesh because of its great graces upon us. That's not what he means when he says that we are out of debt, so to speak, to the flesh. What he means is, as he said in chapter 7, verse 14, just the previous chapter of Romans, Paul says that we were sold under sin. And the picture here is one of slavery. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses several different analogies with our relationship to sin. He talks about it as if we were once united to sin, uh, to the flesh in some sort of marriage. But we have now died to sin, but are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord, meaning that marriage contract has been dissolved. We are no longer held captive under the contract, under the covenant that we were once under in the flesh. He says, rather, uh, we are uh, freed from the slavery of sin. And this is the primary analogy that he's using when he says that we were out of debt to the flesh. We are no longer debtors to the flesh. And I think in order to fully understand this, we have to remember that slavery in the first century is not like slavery that we've seen in more recent years. Uh, To become a slave in the ancient world uh, would happen because they were in some sort of debt. And they couldn't pay off this debt. 
And so in order to pay off the debt, they would render their services until their time was complete, the debt was paid, and then they were released from their slavery. And so there's this debt now that has been paid. And so what Paul is saying is that we have a freedom from the sin debt that's been upon us. I think most of us can identify with either having been in debt or knowing someone who's been in some sort of monetary debt, whether you know, it's credit cards or uh, loans or whatever it is. And whenever someone's in debt, it's as if there's this weight just hovering over you. And it's as if it's like the burden in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where Christian, before he had laid his burden at the foot of the cross, was being burdened by this, this heavy baggage And it was weighing him down to the point where he could hardly move. It made him difficult for him to travel. And that's what it's like to be in debt. But here, the Apostle Paul says that we've been freed from our past. We've been freed from this debt. How? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the sin debt for all who trust in his name. We are no longer in debt. And if you can imagine the freedom that you feel getting out of monetary debt, how much more how much greater is the freedom that we experience from the spiritual debt that we owe a holy and righteous God who is the judge of the universe. And so we have freedom from our past. Verse 13 goes on to explain the nature of this freedom in an interesting way. It it explains the, the upside down or the backwards nature of freedom that we have. Doing what the flesh wants is actually slavery. What do I mean by that? The world likes to say, you know, I don't have anybody telling me what to do. I can do whatever the flesh tells me I have to do whenever the flesh tells me to do it right then. I can do that. So I must be free. But the good news of the gospel says, I don't have to do what the flesh tells me to do. I'm freed from the dominion and the slavery of the corruptive, deceitful desires of the flesh that seek to destroy me. I don't have to do that anymore. Therefore, I must be free. And I think it's this paradox, this upside-down nature of, of not doing it seems what we want to do so that we can have the desires of our heart really satisfied. I think it's that paradox that Jesus is referring to in Matthew 16, verse 25, when he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, for my sake, will actually find it. It's as if the way up is down, or the way down is up. It seems backwards. It seems foolishness. It seems folly to the world. It it reminds me of the inverse operation of an aircraft. You know, when an airplane pilot is steering, he'll press up to go down and press down to go up. And it seems backwards to those of us who've never flown an aircraft, but to any pilot, it's only natural it's what you do. Uh, for, for those of you who've played video games, you know it's as if there's uh, on the joystick an inverse setting. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, killing some zombies with my nephews over Christmas break. And uh, we, we don't like to play the shooter games where we're killing each other. We like to play where we're together and we're facing a common enemy. And it even helps when the enemy's not human uh, for my nephews. And so we're shooting these zombies coming at us and we pause it Uh, to do something that their parents asked them to do. And when we came back, the setting accidentally got set on inverse on my controller. I don't know how. I don't know why. Maybe the Lord did that so I'd have a sermon illustration. But what happened was 
When I would press up, I'd go down, and when I'd press down, I'd go up, and I couldn't see straight, and we got eaten by zombies. And that's what happens to the world. They don't get eaten by zombies, but it happens much worse. They don't understand that in order to live a truly satisfying life, in order to truly have freedom, we have to lay down the desires of the flesh. They're deceitful. They're destructive. And we have to turn to what the Lord says will give us the desires of the heart. If we make him our aim, if we aim to, to love him and to glorify him, that's where we're going to find our joy. And that's what he's saying here in verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How then do we go about exercising this freedom? Well, I think John Owen put it well in his treatise on the mortification of sin in believers. He said, basically, one of two things is happening. Either you're killing sin or sin's killing you. And we have to tell the flesh, you can't tell me what to do anymore because you're no longer my master, you're my enemy. And it's as if we're gladiators in the arena, and there's lions coming to eat us, okay? We either kill the lions or the lions kill and eat us. We have to get busy killing or get busy dying. And so I think there's another application that I think is especially relevant for us as we enter a new year. We don't have to worry about the sins of our past. We don't have to bring that baggage with us as we move forward and as we continue in our present. There's a great line from the movie The Patriot. and It actually opens uh, with this line. It's really profound, I think. He says, I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me, and the cost is more than I can bear. Christian, we do not have to live that way. We do not have to fear that past failures are going to come back to haunt us. We don't even have to fear the consequences of others' sins against us. Or even just simple decisions. Like if I had only taken this job, or if I had only gone to this school, if I had only listened more to my parents or my grandparents, or if I had only been a better parent. The Lord takes these if-onlys, and he says in verse 3 of chapter 8, the Lord has done what we could not do. The Lord has made a way for us. And so we do not have to worry about the past. We have freedom from it so that we can now continue to live in the future and in the present. In Philippians 3.13, Paul says it well. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. We need to remember that even if it's past failures or past successes, we have to leave those behind. As we move forward into a new year, we have to remember to live in the present, in this present freedom that we have. So let's talk about this present freedom that we have in verses 14 to 16. In verses 14 to 16 characterizes freedom that we have in the present. It characterizes it by the relationship that we have to God. Now, what is the relationship that we have to God? How does Paul define his relationship with God? Well, actually... The very first way he says it in Romans and in over half of his letters, he says that he is a slave. He is a bondservant. Remember we talked about this slavery. He says, Paul, a servant, or a bondservant, a slave of Christ Jesus. And then again in verse 12 here, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh. And we're not debtors to live according to the flesh. And by implication, he's saying we are debtors to the Spirit, and we are debtors to live according to the Spirit. But then he doesn't go on 
to explain that like we might think. He doesn't say, your new slave master is the spirit, so you must obey him. No, the way he describes our relationship with our new taskmaster is not that at all. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God, in verse 14, are sons of God. We are sons and daughters of the living God. He goes on in verse 15 to say, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I love this word, Abba. Many have said that this is like the word Daddy. Others have said, No, it's, it's more reverent. It's like Father. And I think the important thing to remember, uh, regardless of how you want to translate it, is that this term is a relational term. This is not a biological term. This is not a term that biologists use to refer to the male progenitor who begets someone. This is a term that a son or a daughter would call their father. And so when we address our, our father, we need to remember and address him as, as our father. I think back to when I was spending time with my nephews and uh, the relationship that they had with their parents and the freedom that they had, the freedom that they had to, to run around in the backyard and to play, uh, the freedom not to worry about where their next meal was coming from because they were with their parents and they knew that their parents were going to take care of them. 1 Corinthians 7.13 says, We were bought with a price. And do not become bondservants to men. And, and so we see we have been freed from this and so that means we also need to live presently and currently in this freedom. We don't need to become bondservants to anything, especially not other men or women. And so I think as an aside, it's important for us to remember that we don't need to be obsessed or enslaved to others' opinions. We don't need to worry about what others think of us because we have been set free and it's for freedom that we've been set free. So we can live in freedom in the relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves us and who wants to take care of us and is able to take care of us. And so we don't have to worry. And so how do we exercise this freedom? How do we go about living this out daily and exercise this freedom? Well, first of all, like we mentioned, we need to pray to the Lord as our Father, address Him as our Dad in Heaven. But it's not just a matter of prayer. It's not just a matter of our words. We need to act this out, right? How do we do that? Well, primarily, as a Father, we need to trust Him. We need to trust that what he says is good for us. My nephews, uh, they got a lot of candy over the Christmas break, and they wanted to eat it all. They wanted to eat it all in one sitting and not, not eat their food. And it's easy to, to think that when your parents don't let you eat all the candy in the world, kids, it, it makes you think, maybe they don't love me. Why, why would you not want me to eat all this candy? Why do you want me to eat my real food? Why do you want me to brush my teeth? Why, this is ruining my fun. But on the contrary, as adults, we know, and kids, we must trust that our parents love us, and they're trying to take care of us so that you can eat candy for the long haul, not just in one sitting, right? This is something that is for your own good. And so we need to remember, kids, that we want to obey our parents and trust them, that when they tell us things, they're doing it not to rob us of our joy, not to rob us of our fun, but to help us, to help us grow and to help us actually have more joy, to be happier in life. And it's no different with our Heavenly Father, is it? The Lord gives us these commands. We think back to the Ten Commandments. He didn't do it to rob our fun. He said, do not do this. When he says, do not do this, he's saying, 
don't hurt yourself. I don't want you to destroy yourself. This is going to harm you. And when he says to do this, when he makes positive commands, he's saying help yourself to true happiness. This is where you will find freedom. If you obey me, you will find the desires of your hearts are truly satisfied and fulfilled in the freedom that you have. And this goes for uh, those of you who have walked with the Lord for many years as well. We don't just need to rely on our past trusting. We don't need to just rely on our past obedience. But we need to continue to press on. We keep fighting the good fight and continue to race this good race. And, and not just for you, but so that you can serve as an example to your children, and to your grandchildren, and to the covenant children here at Christ Church. Well, this freedom that we have in our present also reminds us and points forward to the even greater freedom that is to come. And that is the freedom of our future. We see this especially in verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 tells us that since we are children of God, then it logically and naturally follows that if we're children, we're also heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. Which means, obviously, that we have an inheritance coming. So wait, it gets better than the Lord of the universe, the God of all creation, is actually my heavenly Father, wants to have a personal relationship with me, is willing and able and ready to provide all of my needs and to take care of everything that I could possibly imagine. It gets better than this? Amen, thanks be to the Lord, it actually does. We have an inheritance coming that is shared with our older brother. Only children, oldest children. Have you stopped to think about the fact that you have an older brother? The Lord of glory humbled himself to take on the nature of a human. He is a man and he has forever humbled himself to be a man. And he is our older brother. And it is with him that we share this inheritance. And what is this inheritance? This inheritance is one of both suffering and glory. And knowing the future, knowing what this inheritance is, knowing what's to come, it actually affects our present. I love roller coasters. Uh, roller coasters are, are one of the most exhilarating, fun things uh, I like to do. And there's this one roller coaster, it's called the King Ka, and maybe some of you have heard of it, but it's 456 feet tall. Okay, I don't know if you're aware, there are some roller coasters that, that go 149 miles per hour and are over 8,000 feet long. Okay, and this is like the granddaddy of all roller coasters. And if you were to tell me that this roller coaster, uh, they kind of forgot to, to finish building it. It just kind of ends, um, but it's a lot of fun. There's no way I'm getting on that roller coaster. There's no way I'm getting on that roller coaster if I don't understand and know and trust that the engineers who built this roller coaster knew what they were doing. They didn't flunk the test ten times before they were able to finally finish school. No, this is, this is not at all how we operate. But, on the contrary, if I know and I trust the engineers who built it, and I know that each individual twist and turn and dip and loop was predetermined, if I know that the end is designated, it's finished, and then there is a predetermined destination and there's a set time limit to the ride. Well, now, with this new information, I can get on it and I can actually enjoy the entire ride. I can enjoy the loops. I can enjoy the twists. I can enjoy the dips and the turns that are sudden and unexpected. 
Because I know that even though they were unexpected to me, they were predetermined. There's a predetermined course. There's a predetermined destination. And it is our Heavenly Father who holds all things together in His hands. And so just as children don't always understand that what their parents are telling them to do is really good for them, and it's in their best interest, and they're not trying to rob their joy, we have to trust the Lord that even though we don't understand why we go through the present sufferings, even though we don't understand why we have the trials and tribulations, you may be here this morning wondering why you're going through what you're going through, and it feels as if you're being crushed by the burden of your sin, by the burden of your circumstances, But the Lord tells us and reminds us that this is all for his glory, but it's also for our good. And we don't always understand why, but praise be to the Lord that it's true. So how will we exercise this freedom when we are one day free from all the pain and suffering and sorrows that we experience now? It may seem silly to you to to think about heaven because we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. Although our pastor did tell us a couple weeks ago that we will have brisket, so I was happy to hear that. <laughs> but besides that, we don't know a whole lot about what uh, heaven is going to be like. But I want to I encourage you to, to take a moment to stop and think about what will heaven be like. Richard Baxter, one of the English Puritans in the 1600s, he used to take in half an hour every single day to meditate on what heaven would be like. You may have heard of the phrase, oh, well, that person's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. There's no such thing as someone who's so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. The more heavenly-minded we are, the more we obey the command of the Lord Jesus Christ to set our minds on the things above, then the more earthly good we're going to be because we're going to understand that our present affects the future. And understanding the future affects our present. So what will it be like? How will we exercise this freedom from the effects of sin? Freedom from all the pain that we experience. We're going to have resurrection bodies like the Lord Jesus Christ that won't have joint pain, back pain. We won't have to have surgeries. We won't get sick. We won't get pneumonia with our resurrection bodies. Thanks be to God. But we also have the freedom from the possibility of sin. We don't have to worry that one day sin is going to creep back into eternity and is going to ruin this relationship that we have with God. We will have freedom to perfectly worship God with joy and bliss. You understand, we're not just going to be sitting on clouds with wings that magically sprout out of our backs and giving little miniature harps or lyres to sit there and pluck away on the strings for all eternity. To some of you, that may seem like fun, (laughs) but I'd like to think that eternity is a little bit greater than that. The Lord makes it clear that eternity is spent with God. And if we understood how glorious God is, and how amazing it is to be in his presence, then we would long to be with him. And we would long to be with him forever. And to think about that, and to dwell and meditate on the future glory that is to come, that's what's going to help us to understand and to be able to say along with the Apostle Paul. For I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is nothing compared to what's coming. And so this reminds us we can live in light of uh, being freed from our past. We get to exercise our freedom now in the present. And we can take comfort that we are heirs with Christ. And the inheritance that's coming is our freedom of the future. And so as you make New Year's resolutions, there's some great resolutions out in the hall 
right by the narthex. You may have seen them by Jonathan Edwards. Uh, it really puts me to shame. He actually wrote those when he was a teenager. But these are amazing resolutions that come from a spirit who has understood his freedom in Christ. He has been freed from his past, and he lives in the freedom of his present, and he's longing to be with his Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we enter this new year, let's pray and ask God that he would help us to live in light of this freedom that we have, so that we can enjoy living for him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious promise that if we delight ourselves in you, you will give us the desires of our heart. It seems so backwards sometimes, Lord, and we have trouble trusting you. Please forgive us for our lack of trust and obedience to your word. We ask that you would impress upon our hearts the true freedom that we have, the spiritual freedom that we could have even if we were in China or Syria or anywhere else. We pray that we would live in light of that freedom and long for you to come, Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.